welcome to a Command of Your Own, a Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin. And I'm your host, Jen. This week we're discussing Season 2, Episode 10 of Star Trek Discovery, titled The Red Angel. Dun dun dun. This one was written by Chris Silvestri and Anthony Moranville, and this is actually one of the only writing credits that was listed for either of them on IMDb. Like... At all, not just for Star Trek. Um, I think there was like two or three others maybe, but that was it. They are credited as writer's assistants for the show in general. This episode was directed by Hanel M. Culpepper. She directed last season's episode, Vaulting Ambition, and has a couple of episodes listed for the untitled Captain Picard Star Trek series that's currently in pre-production. I don't know about this Picard series. I I haven't really been like reading too much about it, and so I I am not really certain about it either. But I mean, I guess I'll give it a try and all, but it just sounds like a weird ass idea. I feel but... like the Picard character was well. Anyways, you know what? After season two wraps, we can do a whole episode where we discuss the premises and like everything that's announced so far about the other Star Trek shows. This is true. Let's save it for that. All right. Let's get into some Red Angel. Yes. Now, Kate, last week you were much more sick than you are this week. Yes. Was there anything about last week's episode that you wanted to kind of like go over again or uh, had new thoughts about or anything like that? Last week is like a big blur to me of (laughs) fever medication and wishing i was dead so no i i have no idea okay okay i just thought i'd like leave no, that, that out there in case yeah, you'd... That's, that's fair that's a fair thought um i mm-hmm. i should have rewatched last week's episode actually because i don't think i remember a single second of it mm-hmm. although actually i mean i did see in the you know last week on that you were right about non mm-hmm. being the one who ejected arium also someone on twitter i have, I have no memory of who brought up the fact that like why didn't they eject her into space and then just transport her onto enterprise and like put her in lockup like could have just gotten her right away or right why didn't they just right. transport her to lockup like i don't i, I don't I'm, understand i'm operating under the assumption that because of arium's cybernetic implants and things like that she can just so easily circumvent the technological aspects of any of that, that it would make her incredibly difficult to actually stop. Sure. It, it does However, seem silly, though. Yeah, and the fact that they didn't try, that there was no brainstorming some other way to work around this, something else to do, is kind of disappointing. Um, I also felt... Uh, a little disappointed with it because we didn't really get time for Arium to perhaps be the first voice of control. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I still feel like we have this overall motivation of, okay, it wants to evolve. Why does it think that humanity won't, like, it can't work with other sentient species? Like, why? It feels like they're, they had a chance to give it a voice and, like, have some people trying to interact with it. Right. And they just were like, 
no, let's kill her. We don't want any talking to happen. Yeah. So I feel a little disappointed that they didn't, you know, explore that and have humanity try and, like, talk to Control through Arium and have Arium sort of try and be a go-between. Like, nothing like that was even explored. Right, right. I guess they can't put too much thought into their bad guys. Yeah. Well, let's move on to this week's episode. Yes. Generally speaking, how did you like this episode, Kate? Hmm. Overall, I liked it. It had some good scenes. It had some scenes that I really didn't like also. One in particular. Hmm. And, but but overall, I think I liked it. I, we got, we got some answers to things. Mm-hmm. So that was good. We, you know, got to see Michael and, and Spock come to an understanding. Yes. Which was nice. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I liked it. Did you? I am so torn about mm-hmm. this episode because there were parts that I loved. That mm-hmm. it was like, yes, yes, I love this part. Like, on the scene-by-scene level, there was so much good stuff. Mm-hmm. And then there was also a few other things where I'm like, no, hate, hate, super hate this. Why? I just want to... Yeah, so the... Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, let's start. Yeah. Let's start at the beginning. Sure. The service was stupid. I'm sorry. It was dumb. It was a nice scene. It was well done, like... It had some really well-shot moments. Yeah. But, like, this is a character we barely know. And, I like, we we don't really, as an audience, we don't care about her that much because we barely know anything about her. And they spent, like, five minutes... Yeah. A shorter episode. A lot of people I've uh, seen online also have that criticism that this felt a little unearned. Like the writers tried yeah. to put all of this like backstory into the episode she dies, and then like then all this emotional reaction to try and get us the fans to come along. But it's like you, you weren't. It wasn't enough of a buildup. It wasn't as long of a journey. Yeah. The only sort of plausible uh, explanation of it I've seen is that they're not showing it to us for the character of Arium. They were showing those things to develop the other characters to see how this impacts them. Which, sure, but it, like, I get that. And that's what I also assumed, but it still just felt like a whole lot of unnecessary screen time. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, even going back to last episode... Where they started off with, like, those memory flashbacks for Arium. And I was like, okay, so they're just, you know, setting us up for this. They're going to try and, like, manipulate the heartstrings of the audience and things like that. Right. So it kind of pushed me out a little. Um, Especially since they'd just been doing lots of, like, foreboding, foreshadowing, like... Uh, little scenes of her with her eyes and glowing red and different things like that in the other episodes. I was like, okay, we could have had like yeah, a few less of those and we could have given some screen time in those earlier episodes to, you know, scenes of her interact through in a less formal setting. Or like if they knew they were going to kill her, why didn't they send her to what was that Eden or whatever it was called with with the Michael and, and Pike in episode two or whatever it was, you know, have have an episode with her. Right. 
Right. You know, something. Not that I didn't like having Owo there. That was great. But but you know what I mean? Do do something. Yeah, find some other way to tie her in before this. Uh, I was actually going to say last episode, I forgot to mention the Star Trek Easter egg mm. in the flashbacks when they're talking about the game Cat is Caught. Uh, that is a, a Voyager uh, reference because that game comes up on Star Trek Voyager. Oh, okay. So yeah, so that was a little bit unearned. Did you catch the bit where they focused on the fact that it was on autopilot with the computer? No. Okay, so in one of the scene transitions, they basically have, like, I can't remember which way it goes, but, like, they're focused on, like, the Starfleet logo, and it's, mm -hmm. like, a one of their heads-up display kind of see, um, screens, and it says autopilot, and then it, like, transitions to, like, the Starfleet logo, I think, on the torpedo casing where Ariums is, I think, is how it went. So, I think that they are sort of telling us that you are correct and that we can see the seeds of Calypso coming into play here. I don't even remember what you're talking about. Oh, well, they made a they made a point of like it was it was quick obviously because you missed it, but they switched the ship onto autopilot. Basically right. letting the ship run itself while they were at this funeral scene. Yeah, which makes sense so everybody can go to the funeral. Yeah, so a lot of people are like thinking, "Oh, this is like the seeds of Calypso where this ship has an AI and is like running itself and so people think it was like a reference, like a slight reference to that. Oh, I wouldn't, I, I would have thought that it was just like, this is how the entire bridge crew is at the funeral. And I did see some criticism about that as well, that people were like, oh, they would never leave a starship completely unattended. They would always at least have a skeleton crew on the bridge. And yeah, I'm sure they've got a backup crew. Yeah. And like they were. Like, like a nighttime crew, you know? Bridge crew's got to sleep sometime. It's not like they were going from point A to point B at the time, though. They were basically just sitting in space. Yeah, that too. So, I was like, yeah, I'm sure for 20 minutes the people could, like, set the autopilot and come to the service and then go back. They did make a really big deal about Blonde Lady entering the bridge later, mm -hmm. who I presume was taking Arium's place. Okay, so... Remember I said that um, the actress changed? Mm hmm Okay, so the original actress who was cast for Commander Arium was mm -hmm. Sarah Midditch. Mm -hmm. And she was the one who, uh, she played Arium for season one. She found out that she couldn't handle the makeup and the prostheses because of, I think it was an allergic right. reaction. So then they basically came to an agreement with her that, yeah, yeah, you're going to... We're going to find some way to keep you integrated with the show as a right. another Starfleet officer. And then they cast Hannah Cheeseman, who has been playing Arium for season two. So the blonde woman that we see coming in is Sarah Midditch. Right. So, I, yeah. And part of me wonders if they wrote the Arium, um, like they, they weren't planning to end Arium so soon. But then when the actress had... The allergy and they had the agreement with her for casting they had to figure out some way to keep her with a main role so they were like well let's kill off arium and have this other crew member come in maybe i don't know uh with the funeral scene the things i did like were mm -hmm. uh, the direction work like when you have the mm -hmm. point of view from the torpedo casing and it starts to lower away from the crew mm -hmm. i thought that was a really good scene 
yeah, it was a really nice shot scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did really like it. It just felt like way too much for Arium. You know, like what happens if a character we actually care about dies sometime? What are they going to do then? Where have they left to go? Uh, I see what you're saying. Well, nobody else important can die. That's just... Apparently. And then the Saru singing I really liked. I did like that also, yes. And like I'm like, was that actually the actor singing? I Yeah, that would be interesting to know. I, I assumed so, but I mm-hmm. guess it might not have been. But yeah, I, I just assumed so because that would be easiest. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened after that? Is that when section thirty one shows up or um, not quite. No, I, I guess I guess Tilly Tilly breaks in with her news first. Well, there's a brief scene with Tyler and Burnham where she's like you still represent Section 31, and and then we have the briefing scene with Admiral Cornwall. Mm-hmm. And uh, so basically they completely physically destroy the Section 31 computers, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, the only other thing that could be infected is the Section 31 ships, and we told them to run scans, and it's fine. And I was like, really? Really? <laughs> You think that the yeah. computer program that's running a self-scan on an infected ship is gonna, you know, identify itself? Well, they do also say that that's that they can't be sure. Well, yeah, when, but, when they're pointing out they can't be sure, they're like, they may have sent out a copy into space or something, right? Right? Like it's it's like <laughs> it did it did definitely feel like well, it's all wrapped up in a nice little bow now. Let's move on, right? But also, like, no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, so Tilly comes in awkwardly and... And says that it's Michael. Yeah. Because of the... Which is dumb. Bioneural signature. I'm so glad it didn't actually turn out to be Michael at the end. There are still people theorizing that it is actually still Michael. Just like just, an older Michael? Just like an older Michael. I've seen some clone stuff come up that right. Michael isn't a biological offspring, but a clone of her mother, things like that. Gotcha. So I that that would be fine too. I just like that it wasn't like the like that they had something else going on. Yes. You know? Yeah. And the best explanation I've seen so far for why they had like they could speak so certainly about it being Michael mm-hmm. was someone pointing out that um, you know, maybe after this encounter, Michael starts using the suit. Maybe. So Oh, maybe I don't I just so maybe they have both used the suit at some time. Anyways, yeah, I I just hate. I don't like it being Michael, and I don't. Well, okay, I don't mind it being Michael. I don't like them finding out that it's Michael and then having this whole plan because like Michael's here, so she would know the whole plan. Yes, thank you. In the you. future, so why would she? It like why wouldn't she have just come back before that and been like, hey, maybe don't put me through that this time. Yes, yes, or why like. They basically give her full access to know all of the details about how the angel is going to be trapped. Why yeah. would the angel going time traveling into the future not come in, into that situation with a way to circumvent the trap? Like why? Like <laughs> I was like, or or anything, or or like why? Why it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. Unless unless they're doing like alternate universe time travel, like that because that Michael. Oh, I don't even... Oh, fucking time travel. Uh, that because Michael now knows that she is the Red Angel, she's on a different path than the actual Red Angel. And y- you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. So that's therefore changed the... The thing. Like, yeah. But they haven't really explained 
how they're doing time travel this season different than last season? I don't know. And I don't expect them to try and explain how they're doing time travel. Also. No, I don't. I, I, yeah. Totally not expecting that. Either way, I am glad that there was a bit of a twist <laughs> because the whole, oh yeah, it's Michael. Okay. That, like, it was just so anticlimactic. Yeah. But that's why it happened right before the credits and not, you know, at the end of an episode. Yeah. It was like, FYI, this is not the actual important reveal. Uh, this is when there is... Oh, yeah. So they, like, start to confirm and Spock has some really good... Spock and Michael have some really good lines of dialogue about mm -hmm. uh, how this fits her drive to take responsibility for situations beyond her control. And she says, thank you for sharing that with the group, Spock. I know that was so good. Yeah. This, I, uh, this, the writing for Spock in this episode was so, so good. Yeah, I liked all of their conversations together, too. Yeah, like this dialogue felt like Spock. I just... <sighs> I am. I was kind of surprised that these writers didn't have other writing experience. And I'm like, why couldn't we have this kind of Spock dialogue in the last episode? Because it just yeah. feels so much more like Spock. It was pretty good. Yeah. Anyway. And then Section 31 shows up? Yeah. And then Leland and Giorgio show up. Yeah. And they propose a trap. And, and don't hide it from Michael. That's right. Nothing. And they explain that the Daedalus project was Section 31. Mm -hmm. And the suit was on the verge of being tested when it was destroyed by Klingon spies. Mm -hmm. And now Commander Stamets is going to get to be a time engineer and help them figure out a trap. Right, Yes. I like how they're, like, coming up with ways to use Stamets, and then even in this one, they're like, even though Culber's not actually fit for duty, I'm gonna have him yeah. unofficially help out with this. Which, I mean, I'm fine with that, as long as they, like, kind of acknowledge that they're like, we're not putting him back on active duty, but we have contracts with actors, so. <laughs> so Culber gets to be involved, which mm -hmm. I liked his involvement, actually. And the other thing I really, really loved about this episode is that his, like, off-duty clothing is, like, this classic black suit that he looked... He looked really good. ...amazing in. Yes. And this just breaks from the Star Trek tradition of trying to invent future casual wear that ends up looking absolutely hideous. Yeah, no, he... And it didn't... It didn't... It looked a little different than what somebody might wear today, so that was nice, but it still... He just looked really good in it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think one of the things that's always held Star Trek back is that because their uniforms are, like, militarily inspired and their casual wear mm -hmm. has been tried to be, like, futuristic and very different looking, it's made it very difficult for people to have, like casual nods to the fandom in their clothing right. like it's either like screaming star trek or there's no real way to work it subtly in mm -hmm. um like i've got a few uh cardigans that are from an amazing designer uh but like she's got so much more star wars stuff available mm -hmm. just because the outfit's that have been in Star Wars have been much more easily translatable to everyday wear. Right. 
So even this, I mean, it's just a black suit, so you can't really. Yeah, yeah. I'm just hoping that we start seeing more like in Star Wars, you see some really iconic looks like I'm thinking with the most recent um, Star Wars movie that had uh, Princess Leia before uh, Carrie Fisher passed away. Mm -hmm. Um, There was her and there was the the actress's name has left my head, but they both had like outfits that were like a little more spacey looking that were Mm -hmm. very distinct. You mean um, Laura Dern? Laura Dern. Thank you. Yeah. And I have seen and so like I've seen pieces made that are like in homage to that. And so I'm just hoping that if Star Trek has forget like stepped away from this thought of we have to make it like super shiny or like sweeping open shirts for men and different things like that, that we can start to see some looks that are more iconic for certain characters that can be more easily transported into the casual looks for every day. So this one wasn't like, you know, if if a guy wears a black suit, they're not going to be like, oh, obviously, Dr. Culber. Yeah. But we are at least moving in the direction where an iconic look can be created that is still translatable to uh, everyday wear for fans. So that was a great big tangent about, you know, fandom and cosplay and things. But And it gave us that real weird scene with Giorgio hitting on them oh i loved that scene i think i think i liked it also i think i think tilly kind of saved it at the end there when she was just like what was that (laughs) yes Yes. and and culver just being like in the background there yes my only thing with it is that from my point of view it what it looked like to me was that Giorgio was trying to insert herself into the relationship of Stamets and Culber for yeah. the purpose of helping bridge that gap and bring them together again in her own sort of like messed up way. I actually kind of like it because. But why would she do see, that? Just give me give me a second okay, here. Okay. I'll... You see a couple of times in this episode where Giorgio has decided, that's right, I'm in charge now. I'm fixing everyone. And I can still see where, like, maybe that's kind of like a a utilitarian thought process that she's having. You know, like, I see problems, I fix the problems. Okay. You know, I'm, maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but I don't, I don't care. I like it. I I like the idea of her being like a busybody, (laughs) manipulative lady with other people's relationships. And it kind of seemed to work. Because by the end... You know, you could see that that Culver was now that Stamets was on the other side of things and being like, actually, no, I don't want to talk to you. That Culver was like, oh, I guess I guess that means, you know, I guess what I said means that we can't even talk, you know? Right. You, you could see right. him I... like being like, oh, right. Consequences to my actions. Shit. Yeah. I do think that was a little eye-rolly uh, for me that Smets was just like, I don't know if I'll ever be able to go. Like, I'm like, really, dude? Really? Like, your partner that got brought back from death was, like, having some issues with trauma and you're just gonna, like, you know, yeah. I I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that part. Um, and I don't know whether I like it better with her being, like, a manipulative going to fix all the problems or if I think that like I'm just projecting too much onto her motivations 
Mm. And she was just, like, having some fun with them and not actually trying to fix it. Uh, it's maybe. She was just like, here's a room with two really awkward people and I'm going to make them feel really, really awkward. <laughs> maybe. Either way, I enjoy it. I, like, her being, you know... But even even mm. with, with Michael, we see her being like, well, I'm going to stir this pot, too. You know, she's going to... But but her her intentions with Michael finding out about Leland's role in the death of her parents seemed more intentional than just stirring the pot. Yeah, and I think that she did it the way that she did it because she did not want to be like anywhere in the message bearer to Michael. Yeah, I think she was totally just playing that for manipulation for trying to present herself as better to Michael rather than which, actually being respectful that it wasn't her story to tell. Yeah, which I'm okay with. I like it. So, yeah. I, I like what they're doing with the short show. They give her some weird shit, but, you know, she she kills it every time, so. Mm-hmm. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her performance of it is awesome. Um, My issue with Giorgio is that Starfleet took somebody who was responsible for genocide and was like, oh, you know, it's cool. We can use you. I don't you know. know. That makes sense to me, but I <laughs> I don't feel as strongly about Starfleet as you do. Well, I just, yeah. I feel like there should be some sort of sense of, you know, this person committed some horrific acts and, like, yes, we can't reveal that they're from a mirror universe, but we can also, like, quietly find a way for them to retire and then, yeah. Anyway, it yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm not saying that I support employing of genocidal maniacs. I'm I'm saying that I, from a fictional standpoint, I get that Starfleet would want somebody like that on their side. But again, you have a much better view of Starfleet than I do. Right, right. And I will point out that like uh, Cornwall also was basically about to commit a genocidal act at you know late season one. Yes. And so there's definitely some some gray in the top ranks of Starfleet at this time. So um, that aside, I still love the, the performance and material that both Cornwall and Giorgio are getting. Yes, yeah, so do I. Cornwall was really good in this episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's another brief scene with Michael and Tyler after Michael, you know, punches Leland in the face a couple times. That was really good. The punching part or the yeah. Michael and Tyler scene? Uh, the punching part. The punch. I didn't really like any of the Michael and Tyler scenes. I didn't like any of the Tyler scenes, pretty much. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and then she again is like, why are you part of Section 31? Blah, 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 blah. And then we again have Culber meeting with Cornwall. That one was really good. I liked it. Yeah, I liked that he was actually like, hey, there's like somebody with a counseling background on board. I think I'm going to, you know, seek some self-care and maybe go chat. Yeah. And it was a good scene. Yeah. I liked how she wasn't like, like, she was very much acknowledging that, you know, what's happened to you is not something that, like, anybody knows about. Mm-hmm. So, like, whatever you're feeling is kind of, there's there's nothing wrong about anything you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Everything's new. And then uh, the stuff she said about relationships and it's you know being in love is a series of choices it's not just a single incident 
that you fall in love, but a continual choosing of a person. Yeah. So I thought that was good. So did I. It was yeah. a nice little scene. Yep. And then we get to see Michael doing some punchy punchy. I loved this scene. It was the punchy punchy was good. The mm-hmm. whole conversation with Spock was great. Uh-huh. I just, I really loved everything about this scene. Yes. Yeah, it was good. Uh, Michael's getting some catharsis with Bob. Bob? Yeah, I don't know if that's their official name or if that's just the name that was given to it in like the the boxing and kickboxing class I took. Oh. But Okay. Sure. The little, the little dummies. The foam dummies and the punching bags was Bob. Um, so yeah, that scene was good. More excellent Spock dialogue. Uh, they seem to come to sort of uh, an agreement. And Spock's figured out that the variance is Michael. Right. Which seems super obvious. Yeah. But also not because when, like when, what's his face? Saru saw the red angel. Michael was not there, I feel. Correct. Correct. Was she at risk during that time? I don't think so. I think she was on the ship. Yeah. So, I don't know. It it was a little bit like, duh, but also, I don't think you've shown us that very well. Right. Right. It's like, they had to show that Saru part. They had to have Saru seeing the angel. Yeah. Because his eyesight would, like, see more of the angel. Anyway, this is where they Spock hatches the death plan for Michael and as soon as Pike and Giorgio hear it they are both like no no (laughs) so I don't uh like I mean I get it but I don't see why Giorgio would have been so against it it seems like her type of plan other than like I know that she does like Michael and does not want Michael to die I feel like had it been anyone else she actually would have been like yeah seems like solid reasoning yeah yeah how did you feel about this plan? Other than it's dumb because Michael's listening to it. Yeah, like, I don't mind they um, telling her that we need to, like, engineer where your life is in danger and there's going to be these safeties in place. Mm-hmm. The part that bothered me was they told her exactly, like, where it was probably going to be and how exactly it was going to play out and that they were going to be setting up a trap in this way kind of idea. So I'm okay with them like involving her because she needs to consent to this. They can't just like murder someone for the sake of this. She has to be complicit with the taking that risk. Right. But they just told her way too many details about it. Mm -hmm. So I just, if, if it were me, I would be like, so why isn't the angel just coming back now and saying, Hey, maybe don't kill me. I'm right here. Talk to me yeah yeah and then it, it again doesn't make any sense we'd need to know more about their like theory of time travel stuff i hope this is all explained so. and that i am less upset i mean they do point out that like every time the angel uses this micro wormhole to like travel through she's like on an elastic band right, right? and then the wormhole there's a risk that that future ai technology is going to like come through with the angel another thing that they told michael and michael knows so why would she have come back in the first place if she knows that her coming back is what causes the thing that she's trying to warn them about yeah yeah well because you don't know if you're in action 
will stop it either. The whole point that they are currently thinking is that she brought back the future tech that infected control. But she's trying to warn them about this future check, the future check that's infecting control. Like unless they've got it all wrong or or something, it it doesn't make any sense. So I hope we get more explanation about everything because otherwise, what's going on? Next week's episode is called Perpetual Infinity, and I'm hoping that means that they will maybe try and explain some of this but it's really hard to explain like time paradoxes but well anyway they should explain it to me in particular yeah uh so they set up this plan burnham oh culber's gonna be there which i thought was kind of nice because you know he's died already so he's a really he's got some empathy there that he can work mm -hmm. with being her attending physician and stuff like that to resuscitate her. So there's that scene on the bridge now where uh, Lieutenant Nelson comes in to take over Arium's post. And knowing the meta information about that, like the two actresses and stuff, I mm -hmm. kind of liked how they handled that. Yeah, it was it was fine. I Again, I just didn't really care. You know, they just, they never really got me. Hmm. See, I think I, I like it more for the actress's sake rather than right, gotcha. the character's sake. That's fair. I will say, I did like when they were describing the atmosphere on the planet. They were like, yeah, it's all carbon monoxide, which if it's all carbon monoxide will just kill you instantly. But also there's this other thing that's even worse. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, so it's doubly bad. Like, mm-hmm. Uh, there's the brief scene where Culber now wants to talk to Paul, and Paul isn't ready to talk, and he might never be ready to talk about it. Right. Because you hurt my well, feelings, like, Hugh. Well, okay. Okay. A, it is a bad time for it. They're in the middle oh, of a mission. Absolutely. B, I can kind of understand where, with Stamets, like, his, you know, like, Culber's back from the dead. And he can, and he has this whole second chance, and and then that's just like, no, no, you don't. I may be back from the dead, but no. And I can absolutely see where he'd be like, well, like there's two points of views here, you know. Like I get that Culver needs some time, but he didn't. He didn't say I need time. He said I'm leaving. Goodbye. And and now Stamets is like, you said goodbye. Right. Right. After I yeah. got you back from the dead. I can't keep doing this flip-floppy thing. So Right, I can see where that's a little bit of self-preservation yeah. going on. That's fair. Though I also do just feel like they stuck it in here to sort of... So that we could see that the real... Like, so they can see that, okay, Culver likes, is like going to try and discuss things with Paul... But Paul's not ready to talk, and they put it in a place in an episode where, of course, there's not like it's not a good time to talk. Yeah, and like, would Culber really have like tried to talk to him in the middle of a high stakes mission? Like, well, yeah, that's that's just TV, whatever. Yeah, um, and so then uh, Spock stripes Mi straps Michael down to a chair, and uh, he tries to reassure her that she'll survive because. Otherwise, he's going to get tried for murder for killing a Starfleet officer again. He just says that her survival would be ideal. Yeah, well, that's true. 
Uh, they let her give the command. There's lots of tension here. There's lots of, like, build-up. And then they get into the entirely too long death yes. scene where she's screaming. And I haven't seen The Walking Dead, but I wondered if her time on that show helped her for the scene. It seems to me like a scene with, like, zombies, or, like, a TV show with zombies would be good fodder for, like, screams of agony and things like that. But... I don't, I don't know what yeah. happened to her on The Walking Dead, but this scene was too much. Yeah. We did not need that drawn out for so long. Like, let's just watch her get tortured. Well, and there's Although lots of like, not. is the angel coming? Should we intervene now? But now she's screaming like this. And what did she actually mean? And then, you know, then the standoff with Spock and a phaser pointed at Starfleet officers. And... I then, don't mind that, but... Yeah, that part I didn't mind, where the Spock's like, no, just, no. I don't like watching people die in a torturous way, you know? I, I oh, don't yeah. need that. Yeah. They could have just hurried that along a bit or not focused on it so much. And then she finally dies, and there's that beat of sadness and shock, and then Pike gives the order to beam her up, and the angel swoops in. And shoots some red stuff at her that revives her. Yeah, and I was like, but is there, did she bring atmosphere? Did they, I couldn't, I, it just occurred yeah. to me that I didn't watch to see if they, like, repressurized the spot she was in. Oh, I don't remember if it was before that or after that either. I know that they get know. to repressurizing or re-atmospheric, whatever, okay. pretty quickly. And then okay. they EMP the angel, who apparently that forces her out of the suit. Yeah. I don't know, sure. And the suit's just standing there so that was cool and then ash and leland are supposed to be like shooting the beam to close the wormhole mm -hmm. and leland has to go somewhere and for some reason given a retinal scan to get the clearance and he gets a needle shot into his eye yeah and, and suddenly the computer is cooperating well, suddenly we hear Leland's voice telling Ash that he should have all the power he needs. Yes. While he's laying on the floor. Well, we don't know that he didn't get up. No, this is true. But uh, that's that's not what I assumed about it. Is he dead? Well, that's a good question. I I didn't even I just assumed that that the computer had moved on to. Or that control had moved on to controlling humans. But I guess it could have just killed him and is now using his voice. I didn't even think about that. I don't even know if they killed him and are using his voice. But, like, it was a needle that yeah. went into his head. So maybe they implanted some technology into him. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, well, I was just saying it could have hit, still been him talking, just him being under control. Oh, right. Yeah, that's fair. That's That's all I was saying. And clearly the, those scans that they ran on the Section 31 ships to rule out, you know, them being infected, they yep. missed something. <laughs> Big shock. Yep. Um, and then, so yeah, the, the person falls out of the suit after the EMP, and it turns out it is Michael's mother. Okay, but back to Leland for a second. Sorry. Okay, yeah, yeah. I don't understand. Like, they've just had all this AI problems, blah, 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 blah. And like, the computer wasn't cooperating and was, like, doing weird stuff. Why would he not have immediately been like, oh, shit? Because it was like, didn't it, it, like, repeated things that he was saying back to him. It was clearly kind of mocking him. 
and you know, like in a way that a computer would not do. Right. So I don't see why he wouldn't have immediately been like, oh no. But whatever, that's fine. Back to the big reveal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Burnham's mom is in the suit, not Burnham. Yes. Once again, dun dun dun. And the episode ends on this cliffhanger. Even if it's not Burnham in there, I just like well, I really hope it's not a clone or anything. Like I really hope it is just strictly not Burnham. I mean, they'll have to explain why they thought it was Burnham, but I really hope it is super duper not her. Has no memory of this. Blah blah mm-hmm. blah. Because otherwise, if she has memory of all this going down, it makes zero sense. It makes zero sense. Yeah. Though I was thinking about it being her mom. And the thing that makes zero sense with that is how would she know when and where Michael is? Yeah. Well, no, we need more. Yeah. We, we, yeah, you're right. There's probably, if, if that's the route they're going, I hope they ad- address how she knows when Michael's in danger. Yeah. Like, how she knows when Michael is in this level of danger. Like, without also knowing all this. Like, if she's, like, looking back at, like, a visual of things happening, then would she not also see, like, the setup this time? Like, seems a bit like a trap. Like, yeah. Well, also, it's possible that, like, a future Michael told a not-quite-so-future version of the Red Angel what when she was going to be in danger. You know right. what I mean? Like, not this Red Angel, but, like, a future past... Oh, fuck me. <laughs> that at one point, Michael is talking to a different timeline Red Angel and says, look, these are all the points you got to show off at. Right. I'm also wondering... I don't know. ...what the seven signals end up being, if there's any significance, other than we need to make something big enough that people are going to go, hey, look, what was that? That was weird. Yeah. Like, was there a bigger meaning to it? Or was it just that? And why did Spock know about them before they appeared? Like, why would Spock get that vision? That is also a good question. So, lots and lots of questions. questions. I hope so, too. They do have four more episodes, though. Is that it? Was this ten? This is ten. All right, well, I hope we get all these answers, then. Because otherwise, I don't like this storyline. Yeah. Um, what did you feel about the temporal time war mention and, like, the Klingons um, being involved? Honestly, I thought, oh, gentle like that or not like... Like, I, it didn't really <laughs> affect me at all. Okay. I don't care. I think one of the, one of the reasons... Well, they had to tie it into the Klingons because the Klingons killed Michael's parents. Right. We now see that her mother maybe wasn't killed, but hopped in this time travel suit and used it to get out of there and left her daughter behind yeah which might be might have been an accident maybe she couldn't get back to the right time like i'm sure and yeah yeah and also like to be fair it's like is it better for me to uh, you know be killed or oh you yeah, know i'm cool with yeah. her originally hopping away obviously i was more commenting on her mm. not ever coming back for michael Right, right. But I think this is also a way for them to involve the Klingons in the here and now. Again, I don't this think season. they will. I, I think they might. I, I, we haven't heard anything from them since that one episode, so I feel like they were trying to, you know, move away from that. I think in the promos, 
for the next episode, there's some Klingon ships. Well, I think that's dumb. I think it is, too. I'm just going to go back and double check. Okay. Although even if there are ships, I don't think... Like, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're bringing the current Klingon characters that we know into it. It could just be that it could be a flashback or something like that. I see space suits. I see red angel suit. I see... Yeah, there's a Klingon bird of prey. Uh, so many close-ups of people. Yeah, so it looks like there is a Klingon bird of prey and possibly some Klingon warriors. I did not see anything that I could recognize as, like, Lorel or something like that. Mm. So, yeah. And then you do have noted that the whole temporal time war mention again yeah. is, you know, just a call back to Enterprise. I felt like you were afraid of this <laughs> happening earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Although, like... Enterprise had the involvement of, like, the Sulaban and things like that. This one is treating it much more like a nuclear arms race analogy. Mm. Where, you know, two superpowers are racing to get a time travel technology that, of course, could be used to travel back in time and wipe another species out and things like that. So I think this use of, like, a temporal war is a lot better than what they did on Enterprise. Yeah. So, so far, I mean... I mean, as long as this doesn't involve me watching more Enterprise, I don't care. Okay. We'll bring on a guest host for those episodes if we have to do them, Kate. I just don't think anybody has to do Enterprise. Like, there's no situation <laughs> where that would... Be like, no. We have to watch some Enterprise. I'm like, no. Nobody yes. does. So far, I don't... I don't see enough here to warrant watching more Enterprise. Great. Put it that way. All right. Well, anything yeah. else about the episode? Um, no, I think, I think that covers it. My big frustrations were in that paradox, like, of Michael. If you're assuming Michael is the Red Angel, then why would you tell that person about the trap? Yeah. Because then it they would know it's a trap and they would, like, being a brilliant person figure out some way to come back and save Michael without getting trapped. I just Being a halfway intelligent person. Like, yeah. And I really didn't like any of the scenes between Ash and uh, Michael. Yeah, there's that scene where she goes to, like, for comfort. And yeah, she it's lets, like, she's gonna die. Yeah, the one scene where she lets down her garden. I just... I wish it had been like Tilly or or Spock even, although she had just had a good scene with Spock, so I can understand why they didn't do Spock. I, I knew they were leading up to this kind of thing. Like they basically had like three different um scenes of them together where like Ash was clearly trying to like work on a relationship between them. Even yeah. if it wasn't, like, a romantic relationship, he was, like, talking to her in the turbo lift. And then she was, like, all, like, mad at him and accusing him of knowing, like, did you know that Leland was involved in killing my parents? And he was, like, you know, awkward pause, but no. And and then she comes to him for comfort. And and especially with it being right after the funeral, I was like, is are they going to do, like, you know, the grief sexy times thing? Which I'm glad they didn't. Oh, yeah. God, I'm so glad they didn't. But I just, I don't feel like this season their relationship 
I don't see why she would have gone to him. It just didn't feel right, you know, if, if she wanted to talk to somebody about how she was about to die or how she was scared. It, it just didn't feel like it would be Ash. Yeah, and this Ash in this episode felt to me so much like season one Ash. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm also glad that even though she was like, is this really what you're about? The section 31, are you going to use them as your guidance, your compass? And he was still kind of resolved that this was his choice. This was his place to be. Mm -hmm. So I, I liked that she wasn't like talking him away from that, but otherwise he was just so, so meh for me, this episode. Like I was like, right, this is the, the boring Starfleet Ash that I did not understand why Michael was attracted to him in the first place and why are they why are they still doing this? I just hope that this him choosing section 31 is the thing that sort of like drives the final wedge between them mm -hmm. and means that she could never be with him. On the other hand, I like the idea that like 10 years from now when everybody's over all the drama, you know, like they're all just friends. You know, like I, I like the idea well, which I think I did talk about a little bit last week of Culver and Ash being friends eventually. Right. And all these other things. And I think, like, given enough time, everybody will just be over the drama of it all, you know? And that, I don't know, it's funny to me. Okay. You can't okay. live with that much drama in your life forever. <sighs> I couldn't, I couldn't live, I couldn't take it for a week. I'd be like, oh my God, no, none of this matters. Jeez. Okay. But that's, that's me. All right. I am super looking forward to seeing what happens with Leland next week. Me too. And also with Burnham's mom. Probably her mom. Question mark? I'm, I hope that they have good time travel -y explanations for everything and that we're not just like sweeping it all under the rug time travel. Because I like good time travel. I'm not mm -hmm. a fan of eh, time travel. And yeah, I hope they explain, like, some of the logic behind the choices that Burnham's mother was making. Mm-hmm. And uh, hatch a plan to stop the apocalypse. Yes. It just bothers me so much that she came back to warn them about the apocalypse that she started. You know, like, like then just don't come back. But the only way to stop the apocalypse was for to go back in time to tell them about the apocalypse, but that's also how the apocalypse started. Yeah, that bothers me so much. This also feels like a very strange scale for Star Trek. Um, there's been lots of planetary scenarios of Jeopardy, even like some like sector or systems mm -hmm. that have had crises. But this is very much like, no, no, all sentient life destroyed. Right. So it feels like a bit of a different scale. I don't know enough Star Trek to really... I mean, it does, I guess, feel different than stuff. It, I, I, I don't know. I don't know enough. It feels a little bit more like movie stakes. Right. Than TV show Star Trek stakes. Gotcha. But just just different. Oh, and then the other thing that was uh, brought up was how this episode seems to be making a few comments on how, especially with the Culber storyline, mm -hmm. things are sort of like 
you're new and that's okay for you to be like new and different but still be culber and people were like yeah like how discovery is new and different but it's still star trek oh i didn't even think of that i i saw it pointed out a couple times but yeah that wasn't what immediately popped into my head i doubt that's what was in their head either okay do you have anything to recommend this week you know um I don't think I've ever brought this up before, but I'm going to recommend audiobooks. Oh, okay. If you like listening to podcasts, you probably like listening to audiobooks, because it's like reading a book, but also going for a walk. I'm always resentful that like all of my hobbies are not things that I can do at the same time. So, yeah, I, I get that. So any possibility to listen to an audiobook while I crochet or listen to a podcast while I play a video game is very good. So I appreciate that audiobooks give me the opportunity to read while doing something else. Yes, yeah. Uh, do you have any like current book that's on the go or like a uh, favorite? I'm currently listening to Wild Country by Anne Bishop. Uh, okay. Which is part of her other series, which I really enjoy. Um, my favorite audiobooks are probably... Uh, the His Dark Materials series by oh. Philip Pullman because okay. they're sort of read by Philip Pullman with a full cast, and I always oh. enjoy a, a full cast audiobook. That does sound nice. I don't think I've done an audiobook with a full cast yet, actually. It's fun. Um, I feel like I listen to so much podcasts that I don't have time to listen to other things a lot, so... That can be a problem. I'm not going to mm -hmm. lie. Especially mm -hmm. if I'm, like, binging a, a podcast and I've got, like, 200 episodes to get through. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I yeah. don't do anything else for, like, two months, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. My recommendation this week mm -hmm. is another podcast. Okay. Uh, there is a podcast network out there called Canada 2020 with Canadian content, mostly political. All, all political, we'll say. And it is actually one of the people who's involved within it is Aaron Reynolds, who is also the person who runs the Twitter, um, the Twitter handles for effing birds uh, and swear trek. Okay. So he tweeted this week about a new podcast series through the Canada 2020 network called No Second Chances, which takes a look at women in Canadian politics Mm -hmm. And particularly the 12 first ministers who have been women in all of Canada's history. So first ministers is including both the prime minister of Canada, our nation's leader, and the premiers of each province. Right. So, yeah, so I've just started and it's really well produced so far and uh, I recommend it. If you're at all interested in Canadian politics or the status of women in politics, uh, it kind of hit me at the right time this week because we were discussing some UK politics mm -hmm. with Brexit and Theresa May and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I brought up a point about women getting into leadership positions, basically when the ship is sinking. Right. And... The male person I was discussing with basically dismissed it as I'm reading too much into it and that doesn't play into it at all. And then I started listening to this podcast and this is called The Glass Cliff. And it is exactly this phenomenon of there being this political situation that, you know, they all kind of realize that is a mess 
and suddenly a woman's in charge of the political party. Right. So, yeah, I thought that was that was really interesting. So I am not personally looking to add more politics to my life, but if anybody out there is, that sounds interesting. And I think that's that for this week. I think so. Uh, next week, we will be discussing Season 2, Episode 11, Perpetual Infinity. Mm-hmm. And I want to take a moment to thank everyone for listening. If you have any feedback, questions, comments, ideas that you would like to share, you can reach out to us on by email at commandofherown at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at commandofherown. And I managed to get some screen captures of this week's episode that I will be sharing on the Instagram account, instagram.com slash commandofherown. All right, well, uh, I've been Caitlin. Can we sign off? <laughs> Sometimes we do. I've been Jen. And we'll see you all next week. Yeah. Bye. Bye.